Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. We'll be coming to you weekly, and we'll start off by bringing you the sermon from the 10 a.m. service on Sunday mornings. That way, if you're traveling, or you miss the service on Sunday morning for whatever reason, or even if you just want to listen to it again, you can have it delivered right to your mobile device. To subscribe to episodes so they arrive automatically, you can click the subscribe button in your podcast app on your phone, tablet, or laptop. And now the 10 a.m. sermon from March 8th, 2020 with Father Ed Kelleher. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The most beautiful thing in the world is in heaven, is in a mountain landscape, is in the ocean seas that we see if we're by the shore standing on a beach. The most beautiful thing in the world is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is beautiful by His holiness and His perfection. He is beautiful in His image as the perfect reflection of the glory and grace of God. And when His lips speak, they are the most beautiful lips that have ever been of the world. And to speak what they speak is precious to us and something we hold in our hearts as both life-changing and life-enhancing. And today's Gospel lesson is of no less ill. As we come to the very end, of the Gospel reading, we hear the most beautiful phrase of Scripture I could imagine. I suppose it might be the best known, I don't know, you can take a survey about that. But what Jesus says is, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all who believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know those words, we see John 3.16 held up on the Today Show. When people are in the crowd at Rockefeller Center, we see it at football games, we see it everywhere. John 3.16, a lot of people don't even know what it means when they see those words and they understand there's something to be had behind them. But what we get in those words is the encapsulation of the entire Bible, the encapsulation of the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, the eternal life that comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. There is no other way to have eternal life but for Him. And we get them as a bedrock, as a foundational element, as something very basic and simple that everyone should hold and understand, something that should be given to our children, something that should be precious to us. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century British preacher in London, said that John 3.16 is the ABCs of the Bible. It's the, the alphabet of the Bible. And the alphabet has 26 letters in it. Depending on the translation you read, John 3.16 has 26 words in it. Our version today had 24, I think. The word begotten was in the translation there. But God is the only begotten son. That word was out, maybe another word. But by and large, depending on the translation, it's 24 to 27 words. And the 26 is just a nice way to frame it out, to speak about it alphabetically. Because out of those 26 letters of the English alphabet, every word we speak is comprised. You take them in all the combinations and permutations that you can use of those 26, and what you wind up with is the English language, and other languages they use it, and so forth. The same thing with John 3.16. The words, the expressions, the intonations, the heartfelt meaning that Jesus gives us in each of those very words, each of them even standing alone, is such that the entirety of the Bible is expressed in that sentence as if it were an alphabet itself. The alphabet, 26 words, I've been thinking about all week long, how this is paralleling like that, the analogy of an alphabet in this John 3.16. And then, lo and behold, out of the mouths of babes, just yesterday, I'm with my grandson Finn, he's here to visit. He's three years old, he's sitting over there, you can figure out who he is. How many three-year-olds are in that section? Just one, right? So there he is. 
But it gets to the point where we're riding in the car and he decides he's going to show me he knows his ABCs. And what does he do? He sings them to me. You know the song. You know how it goes. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, tell me what you think of me. And that's what he sings. He leaves out all the rest of it. <laughs> but I think that was perfect. He summarized it. He encapsulated it. He gave it to me in abbreviation form, the way Jesus is giving us 316. The illusion, the metaphor, the example works to explain how our Lord intended to give this one punctuated moment of speaking that forever would echo through down through the corridors of time to you and me today, that we would understand the love of God and forgiveness of sins. Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature, the gospel in a nutshell. Someone else called it the good news in a headline. Like it's just this one explosive statement of everything that was done. A love letter from God written in blood and addressed to every one of us. And forget the gory imagery about being written in blood. You know what we mean. The blood of Christ on the cross is what wrote this thing. It's what gave us the truth of what it is. If Jesus had said these words and never gone to the cross for us, it would have been a pretty hollow intonation indeed. But because he went to the cross and fulfilled his mission as the Holy Son of God who loves us all, we can stand here and proclaim the glory of it. I have my own favorite word. Uh, I preached this here about seven years ago, this one favorite word. I'll use it again this time because it helps. And the reason it helps is I want you to understand, you can take a book of the Bible and make it a study. You can take a chapter of that book and make it a study, a verse of that chapter and make it a study. You can take one word and study it. And make a study of the word grace, forgiveness, eternity, whatever you want. Make a study of just one word the way God gives it to us. Here's a word that's so simple. You can say, how in the world could you ever study that? You can. My favorite word in this verse is so, S-O. What am I talking about? Such a silly thing as that. What I mean is this. If he had just said, for God loved the world and gave his only begotten son, that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? That'd still be great. That'd be great. But God so loved the world. It's a statement of magnitude. It's a statement of the power of God's love, the limitless nature of his affection for me, the fact that he so loves you that you can't get past it. What a difference to say to your spouse, I love you, or I am so in love with you. That word so gives us that power, and Jesus wanted us to have that. And you can take that one word, I could preach five or six sermons in a row, five or six weeks in a row, on what God meant when he said so. And you would never get tired of hearing it because it's important. But you would wonder, I think this, why does he love me so? I'm not lovable, I'm a sinner. When God had the people of earth that he created, and they rebelled against him, they spit in his eye, they hated him, in fact. They hated Jesus and nailed him to a cross in his day. The world still hates the Lord. Start going around in public preaching the word of Jesus. Chances are you get arrested for disturbing the peace. Peace. Try to do it in your workplace, you'll probably get fired. Try to do it in school. People say, well, of course you should. Politically, it's incorrect. Wait a minute. Politically incorrect. I'm worried about the kingdom of God here, not the politics of the world. When I speak of my Lord God, I want to speak and proclaim His greatness, His glory, and the Savior's grace He gives me. I am not ashamed of the gospel, as the Apostle Paul said. I live for it, and by it, I'll die for it. If I have to, we all will. It's unbelievable and improbable that God would so love us when we're so sinful and rebelling and hating Him like that. Yet He does. And in order for us to understand that, we turn to Isaiah chapter 55, where God says something really amazing when He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, so are my ways higher than your ways. 
Don't try to understand the glory of the Lord's thinking, because it is so magnificent that we can only live into it through the experience and the example of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't intuit it. You can't come up with the nature of it but for being held by God. It is something that is so joyful and spectacular that he loves us that people have been inspired to write. One Christian writer, Max Lucado, who's a very popular contemporary writer, wrote this about John 3.16. Listen to what he had to say. It's really terrific. He said, John 3.16, a 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. You know, begin with God, end with life. He urges us to do the same. It's brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing about the Bible, start right here. If you know everything about the Bible, return back here. We are all in need of the reminder. Remember that the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed to us in John 3.16. That is profound. Remember that the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. It's our dark hearts, our selfish hearts, our willful hearts, our hearts that are unwilling to sacrifice for other people. That is the heart of the problem. We don't need to go about getting uh, some kind of counseling from Dr. Phil on TV or going to do what we need to do. We need heart surgery. Not the kind of heart surgery some of the physicians in this audience do, the kind of heart surgery that the Holy Spirit does when we're turned into the likeness of Christ and we live out the way that we're supposed to live. It's an alphabet of grace, this John 3.16. Another person wrote, it's a table of contents of the Christian hope. Another one said, it's a safe deposit box, and each of its words is a jewel in that safe deposit box. These are beautiful and perfect things. We should read it again, we should read it slowly, we should think about it, we should tattoo it on the inside of our eyelids so we see it all the time if there's a way to do that. It should be something always ever in front of us, to remember what God's love is for us. I read about an optometrist in the Midwest, and you know how they have those charts up there that say um, E, and it has all the letters, that the only shirt I said E, and I said T-S-O-P after that, but that's the sound of Philadelphia, it's a, it's a singing group, it's not that it's on the eye chart. The optometrist out there, you can help me here. But instead of having that eye chart, this optometrist put John 3.16, and it was in descending order of size. For God so loved the world that he gave to him. And, so, and he said his patients would smile as they read it and laugh. And he said nobody ever objected to it. But then he would have, sometimes have an opportunity. He said, what is that all about? He said, let me tell you what it's about. He would use it as an opportunity to witness to them. And I find that to be beautiful and sweet and good that he does that sort of thing. Just as much there was another story about somebody with it that's more important. And this is where you start getting to the point where there's practical application. Here comes the practical application part for you. Something you could use in living your life this John 3.16 experience, and it comes from a man who was a professor in Chicago, a professor in a seminary. His name is Dr. Sumner Wemp, W-E-M-P. I had not heard of him before the story. But Dr. Wemp said that one time, some years ago, a seminarian in his mid-twenties comes into his office and is sitting there, and he's burdened in his soul, and he's telling the professor all the things that are afflicting him. And as he's unfolding his story, by God's spirit, no doubt, the good professor sees something, feels something, realizes something, breaks in on the guy's story, interrupts him, and says to him, son, I want you to know this. I love you. Son, I love you. He said the kid sat there staggered and looked back at him, bewildered at why he would say such a thing, and then just absorbing it. 
when he broke down and started sobbing. And I wrote down exactly what here, what was said. Dr. Sumner wrote this, Sumner went wrote this. He said, Doctor, never in all my life has anyone ever told me they love me till now. My father never said it to me, neither did my mother. No one has ever told me they love me until this moment. I know the Holy Spirit of God inspired that good professor to tell that young man he was loved. But I also know that that is something that we need to take to heart. And when Jesus is giving us John 3.16, he's saying, for everybody who's never been told that someone loves you, or never been told sincerely, or it's so long that you're starving to death to hear it again, here it is from God, bountifully, beautifully, boldly, written across the sky, written in your heart, written for all eternity, so that you can have this and never be without it again. There's a brilliant pastor and preacher, you should know about this guy, he's a Baptist guy named Jerry Mines, a brilliant guy, great preacher. And he said that he has another preacher friend he had for like 30 years, would call him on the phone, they'd have discussions. You have friends for 30 years, right? People call you, you talk on the phone. He said, but the way this guy would end his phone calls almost every time, it's not every single time, but most every time was this. He would say, okay, because we'll talk later. And by the way, Jerry, if nobody else has told you today, I want to tell you, brother, I love you. If no one else has said it to you, I want you to hear, I love you. Telling people I love you is really important. I try to say it around here all the time. I try to tell I love you. I say to the children especially. I want everybody to hear I love you from their pastor because in some ways I'm like a representative of the Lord here. I'm his under-shepherd put in this place. I have a person in my own life. Some of you here know him. A friend in Ohio. His name is Ricky. He goes by the nickname Boomer. And he'll do that. He'll write me a text that says, Hey brother, just in case you haven't heard it today, I love you. Or it might say, Your brother in Ohio loves you. Or say it in a phone call. Always encouraging me with his love like that. Even giving me a lesson and an example and modeling of how I can do it myself and do it for me. I try to say it as often as I can. Now here's the trick here. All this discussion about John 3.16. We need to understand this. Jesus didn't just pluck this out of the air. He wasn't sitting under a fig tree when something came upon him like he's some English poet or a Shakespeare. He says, Behold! For God so loved the world, and he goes on with the phrase from there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end of the world, believe in him, should not perish, but I shall have eternal life. That would be beautiful enough if he did that. If he just threw it out gratuitously like that, that'd be good enough. It's not how it happened, it happened in context. We have to remember it happened in context. There's a man named Nicodemus in this story. He was a Pharisee, which means he was part of the ruling political party and a lawyer and very legalistic in Jerusalem. Nicodemus. Nicodemus no doubt heard of Jesus because he comes to visit Jesus in the middle of the night. Why does he visit in the middle of the night? Most people think because he was ashamed to get caught talking to him and admitting that he thought he was somebody. The others would either mock him, laugh at him, or kick him out and somehow judge him. But he comes to Jesus at night. Maybe he wanted to ask him questions because he was part of the Supreme Court of Israel. He was part of the Sanhedrin and he wanted to ask questions. But we're led to think it was with good faith that he came that night. And he's asking Jesus what kind of questions? Legalistic questions, because he's a lawyer, he's asking them things. And Jesus is saying, well, listen, you're a man of Israel, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things, you don't know these spiritual things. But he wasn't saying it to him judgmentally. We get right off the bat the sense that the Lord was speaking to him compassionately. He, he loved Nicodemus, he saw something beautiful in him and wanted to help him along. And he's talking to him, and he said, you have to be reborn. And Nicodemus, in his legalistic, black and white, factual, empirical mind, is thinking, how can I climb back in my mother's womb and be reborn? He didn't get it. He was obtuse to it. 
They just didn't get it. And Jesus leads them along. After he gives them the full explanation of 15 verses of interaction in this third chapter of the, of the book of John, Jesus gives them the ultimate crescendo. And by the way, Nicodemus, let me tell you something else. For God so loves you that he sent his only begotten son to die for you so that you can have eternal life and live forever and not perish. And Nicodemus, I don't know what happened, he must have sat there slack to everybody. I imagine the most beautiful lips who ever spoke from the most beautiful being who ever existed, speaking to you the most beautiful and magnificent message and verse of scripture you could even imagine. And we know another thing, we got this from Nicodemus. Who else could have told this story but Nicodemus? Nobody else was there but Jesus. Maybe he told the apostles, but I have a feeling it was Nicodemus. And we only hear about Nicodemus in the book of John, nowhere else, he's not mentioned by anybody else, but he's mentioned three times, which gives us some insight and clue to who he was and what was going on. He was there for this episode in the third chapter. He's there some chapters later, standing up for Jesus when the Sanhedrin's going nuts and wants to arrest Jesus and bring him to the trial and do what he does. And he says, look, we're being unfair to this man and speaks up. He shouted down, but he spoke up for him. And then finally we see Nicodemus the third time. This one's really good. We see him at the burial of Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea as they take Jesus off the cross, bring him to Joseph's tomb, and here comes Nicodemus with the ointments and the nard and the spices and the embalming agents necessary for Jesus to have a proper burial. And we see him again there. I tell you, this lesson isn't given just so you can glory in these words. It's given because you and I are Nicodemus. How? We're legalists. We think we have to do good works to get into heaven. Have to give the church enough money. I messed up last week, and I know God's mad at me now, God hates me. I know I'm not going to be good enough. I know I'm unholy. I, I, I feel like I have to lie to hide the things I'm ashamed of, and on and on we go. And what he's saying is the same thing he said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, calm down, man. Relax. Stop being so legalistic. You don't have to worry. He said, for God so loved you. No, he said, for God so loved the world. You can substitute your name and say, for God so loved Joe, for God so loved Susie, for God so loved Harry, put your own name in there, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He wants you to know that. So you can stop beating up on yourself. Stop being so hard on yourself. Stop living the way you're living and instead fall in relaxation and peace and joy into the arms of grace and mercy. mercy most beautiful arms that go with the most beautiful lips, that go with the most beautiful being who gave us the most beautiful verse of the Bible. Right? If you could do that, that would be a good way to come out of Lent. Come into Lent examining yourself and worried about who you are, but coming out a child of God, free in the breeze, everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, because God so loves you. I can't give you any better news than that tonight, so I think I'll stop. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the All Saints Podcast. I hope you'll download future episodes. You can subscribe and have the episode delivered automatically each week by going to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking subscribe. I hope you have a great week. God bless.